Um, so, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is second person of the Trinity and oft neglected in the church. It's not something you hear about very often. Um, and it, but it's vitally important that we study the Holy Spirit. Because one of the most important roles the Holy Spirit has in our lives is the role of salvation. The role of actually saving people in real time and real space. Now, he does that, we covered last time we talked about the Holy Spirit, he does that through something called regeneration. Does anybody remember what regeneration is? Anybody? Anybody? That's a big word, I know. It's a big word, I know. I'll explain it. So, this is a work that, the Holy, that God does in us. Before someone even comes to faith, it's a work that God does inside those that will come to know Him. And it's, we're totally passive in the process. The Bible teaches that, that it's not some effort on our part. It's not that we grew up uh, doing good things and He came along and saw we were doing good things and put His stamp on us and said, hey, yeah, absolutely, that person's a Christian. It is a work that God does within us. And it's something that changes us completely from the inside out. That's what Jesus taught. We are changed as His Holy Spirit works in us from the inside out. This week we're going to talk about something that happens in conjunction with regeneration. With a renewal of our inside spirit. There's this thing called union with Christ. You hear it all the time in the teachings of the Apostle Paul. You hear him say, to the believers in Corinth who are in Christ. For those of you who are in Christ. When you, have know, when you have been born again in Christ. He talks about being in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Over and over. There are verse upon verse upon verse upon verse. And we find it in the book of John. Uh, specifically, we find all these passages in the book of John. But let me read one passage to get us started. That's from Ephesians chapter 2. One of the books that Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul, to the church in Ephesus. And he said in Ephesians chapter 2, Even when we were dead in our sin... God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Again, he talks about this happening with Christ, in Christ. There's a union that occurs between a believer and Christ that is, in, it is life-changing, ultimately. And so what I want to talk about this morning as we dive into this, this, this study about the Holy Spirit is what is the nature of, of the union with Christ the Bible talks about, and what are the results of the reunion with Christ that is brought about by the Holy Spirit. And I hope, I think you will find that it's fairly incredible. This union with Christ. Now, our bag was to help illustrate this morning, so you can check those out occasionally. But there's basically six things. There's six things that... um, can describe the nature of our union with Christ brought about by the Holy Spirit. The first is that it's a spiritual union. It's a mystical union. It's a vital union. And I'll define all these as we go along. It's an organic union. And it's an unbreakable... That's only five. I thought it was six. It's an unbreakable... Oh, structural. It's structural and it's unbreakable. And each of those is illustrated in your little bag in front of you. The reason this is so incredibly important is that it's at the very heart, not only of our world around us, but it's at the very heart of who we are if we're a believer in Christ. If we're a believer in Christ, it is at the very core, the center of who we are, this union with Jesus Christ. And you'll find that it's, um, 
It's really pretty incredible. First, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. But He, that is the Holy Spirit, joined us to the Lord through His Spirit. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Then we have 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all made to drink of the same Spirit, the one Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at the heart of our union with Christ. The Holy Spirit, that's super important for us to remember. It's not something that we, a relationship with Jesus Christ, the King of the universe, it's not something that we conjure up. It's not something that we create. It's something the Holy Spirit gives to us as a gift. He works within us. He changes us from the inside out. It is a spiritual union worked by His Spirit. Thus we pray for His Spirit to work. But let's look at the nature of it um, in the worldly and the illustrations in the world around us. You got one of them, the mystical union. The mystical union, Ephesians chapter 5. Again, Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus. He, taught, he says it this way. You may have heard this at a marriage ceremony. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, says Paul, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This, the reason it's called mystical is because it's spiritually, marriage is spiritually symbolic of the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church, his people. That's what it's meant to reflect. The, marriage, as a, as a gift to humanity from God, marriage is not ultimately something to just satisfy some of our longings. Though it does that. And it's not merely to set up a legal contract between two people. Though it often does that. Ultimately, its purpose is to reflect the relationship that the people of God have with Jesus Christ. So think about it for a minute. Think about marriage. It doesn't matter if you've been married or not. Hunter, Wesley, Cora, I know you all haven't been married. But you, but you know, even if you're not married or have never been married, you can understand the concept of marriage. Because it's all around us. It's present in our world around us. And it's why we as the, as the church hold marriage highly. We value it because we believe it says something not, it's not just something practical. It's, it says something about God, who God is, and what his relationship is like with us. For instance, intimate, like one, like one, mutual giving and mutual submission. Um, further descriptors, protection and safety. Uh, this is huge to know, to know that someone has your back always and forever. When the Alzheimer's hits, when you feel ugly and worthless, worthless there's someone who loves you always and forever. Um, that's the type of relationship the Bible gives to us through the Holy Spirit in Christ. That's the kind of relationship we have with Christ. Safety and protection. Even when you're feeling ugly and worthless, a God who loves you, who knows you in the very depth of your being and still wants to be around you, always and forever. That's an amazing relationship. Um, shared passions. Shared passions. I... I wouldn't normally watch the British Baking Championship. But because Christy loves it, I watch it. Because as our marriage, as we've grown over the years, we have shared passions. 
she came into the marriage not really liking coffee all that much. Now, not only does she like coffee, but she's been introduced to my sludge. And she prefers sludge. She, we, we, go to like, we go to restaurants, and now she's like, she's as snobbish as I am about coffee. She's like, oh, well, so weak. I'm like, shared passions, honey. Shared passions. The, true, the same is true in our relationship with Christ. The Bible talks a lot about Jesus and his love for the outcast, the despised, the disabled, the broken, the downtrodden. As we grow closer with Christ, our, our heart begins to reflect that. That same love for those that are broken and downtrodden and, and cast out by society and, and the disabled. We love them. We love them well. We don't just think, stepping stone, good. I can get past those people. Ugh, those ugly, broken people. No, we share the Christ's passion. We love, we give, we serve. We, we enter into relationship with people that at one time we might have thought nasty. Shared passions. Um, and lastly, children. Um, we have, in Christ, we have spiritual children. Um, there's something that, that children in a, in a marriage relationship are an overflow of the love that a man and wife have for one another. That's all it is. They are an overflow of that love. And that's why it's, 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 why it's such a big deal to so many people. And why, and why it's hard when you can't have kids. Um, and there's, there's, there's pain there. But God, God gives us a picture that we also, we, we have spiritual children also, not just physical. There are people that we pour our lives into and share our lives with and give to and mentor and love and pass on what's known as discipleship. We have spiritual children. Have you ever had a spiritual child the next thing is, uh, the, the, our relationship with Jesus Christ is like a marriage relationship. But it's also, it's like a branch. Saw that in your baggie. The vine and the branches. I don't know if any of you have ever heard this passage. It's from John chapter 15. And Jesus is describing our relationship with him. And he says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Those are powerful words. There's the fact that that life, any type of spiritual life, comes only as we are connected to Christ. Any, any energy, any, any real spiritual fruit that we will bear in our life comes only as we are connected with Jesus Christ. You know, I remember when I was working at a camp up in northern Wisconsin, I remember kind of seeing this worked out, played out in, in my life as I'm carrying this canoe and it's way too heavy for me to be carrying by myself. I should have had like three other people carrying it with me. And I'm portaging it. Anybody ever portaged a canoe before? It's, they actually make, if you've ever seen a canoe, there's one bar that comes across that has like a bend in it. You ever seen this? There's like a circular bend in it. That's meant to go around your neck. And so what you do is you put that bend around your neck. And then you put your arms inside the canoe to balance it. And I was 
I was in an emergency situation. There was a student that was under my care as I was a counselor that had broken uh, part of their body. And I had to get them over the water with that canoe. But it, I, it was too heavy for me. And I prayed over and over, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It was one of the first times I just felt the surge of, of God's energy coming through me as Christ was strengthening me. And the kid, we rescued him. It was fantastic. But I just, it was a powerful moment for me to just be reminded that I, on my own, can't do it. This thing called the Christian life, this thing called spirituality, I can't do it. The Bible's very clear about that. That on our own, we cannot do it. It only happens as we are connected through Christ. It only happens as we are connected through Christ. Modern day illustration. Think about your phone. You know, how much, if my battery is dead on my phone, how much use is this to me? What can I do with it? Maybe throw it at someone? Paperweight? Paperweight? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Use the parts for, you know, fix another phone maybe. But very little value at that point. Um, But when it's plugged in, when it's connected to the electrical network that is all around us, it comes alive again. And it's incredibly useful and it connects us to other people and it connects us to information, connects us to each other. It's similar with us in Christ. And as we, we, we plug into Him, as it were, a vine and the branches, getting life, getting energy. Jesus wasn't kidding when He, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And what he meant was not you can't do anything in life. He meant nothing that is of spiritual value. Nothing that is of spiritual, true spiritual value. You can fake it. We all fake it plenty of times. But plugged into the vine is so incredibly important for us in our union with Christ brought about by the Holy Spirit. The next thing real quickly is, is that it's, or, it's an organic relationship. It's an organic relationship. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 talks about this. It says, Christ is the head and his people are the body. The parts working together in unison. Christ is the head in the sense that he gives direction to the church. He gives energy, life, right? If you cut off somebody's head, what happens? They die. We talked about that last week. But when the head is connected, there's direction, there's energy, there's life. But also, the body parts work together. There's an organic relationship. And what we mean by organic is not like organic fruit. It means it's a system that is... Well, here goes my phone. And now it's broken, I'm sure. It's a system that acts like organic life. It's a system set up... There's, there's, a, there's a flow of blood. There's a movement of life, of, of organic nature to it. And that's true for the people of God. There's an organic... Uh, nature to what we do. We, God has gifted each of us individually, and as we work together, we do great things. Just like a body. I mean, if you've ever seen an incredible painting, you've been to an art museum, or you've, been, or you've seen a really beautiful building in town, or you've, you know, who's put together by a great bricklayer, or maybe a car that someone put together. It's incredible. When the human body is working properly and in unison, it can create some really beautiful things. Really beautiful things. The same is true for the body of Christ, that is the church. The body working together with Christ as the head can really uh, do some beautiful things. 
in, in the community around us, in the, in the world. Um, because again, Christ is the one who is giving life to that body, giving life in unison to the body. So two more quick things. Um, we're united to him also like the bricks of a building. This is what you're talking about, Hunter, with the Lego piece. As I mentioned earlier, the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Does anyone here do building work at all? You know, you know what the cornerstone means or what, it, what its purpose is in a building? It, it, that's part of it. Part of it's making it level. But it, it's the starting point. It's the starting point for the whole building. And it, it's, Jesus is the starting point for the whole church, right? The, the reason the church exists and is still going today, which, against all odds, right, is because it's the Holy Spirit bringing people together, supernaturally, bringing people together in Christ. In Christ. It's a building that He is building. Each of us being a block of that building. That's what First Peter talks about. It says, you're being built up into a, a people of God, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, it says, um, to serve the Lord and to show forth His glory. It's all about God. It's not about us, ultimately. Instead, it's about God and what He is doing. Okay. Lastly, or sorry, last, uh, last point about the nature of our union with Christ. It is unbreakable. This is from Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. Does anyone know? Well, I won't ask if anyone knows that. Romans 8, 38 and 39 talks about the fact that, that in our relationship with Christ, no power, no dominion, no force in nature, no force in the spiritual world can pull us apart from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. Nothing. When we are united to Christ through the Holy Spirit, there is nothing that can break that. So when there are those bad days, when there are those nasty days, when there are those scary days, when you're doubting, when you're frustrated, when you're hurt, the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ cannot, the Bible teaches, it cannot be broken. It is something that can be stood upon for all time. For all time. And here's, the, here's why that's important. The reason that's important is because every other relationship in our life at some point will be broken. Through death, through the relationship falling apart, through sickness, we all experience the brokenness of relationships. We've had parents that have died, grandparents that have died, maybe siblings, whatever it might be. We feel it. We know it. It's in our gut. The rock that is Jesus and the relationship that we can have with Him carries us well beyond the grave. It is meant to be a relationship that is, a, that, is, that is unbreakable, not just in the here and now, but for all time, forever. Our relationship with Christ does not end when we die. That is incredibly important. It's incredibly important for us to remember, um, even in this life. And that's not to say, don't, I, I, I know that's kind of a heavy point. And my, I'm not trying to be like, Oh, every relationship you have is going to be broken. I'm not trying to be pessimistic, but I'm just trying to be realistic. All of us have great relationships in our life, right? That are going well. Praise be to the Lord. Um, but we also have all experienced and uh, will experience the brokenness of relationships also in our life. Um, to know that God is going to carry us through that is incredibly, 
important. Okay, so now we, so we've looked very briefly at the nature of the union we have with Christ through the Holy Spirit that is brought about by Him. It's brought about by God. We've looked a bit at the nature of this union. Now let's look very uh, briefly as we, as we close about um, the results of this union. The results of this union are described most um, impressively, most thoroughly, in Romans chapter 5 and 6. And it's all about what's called federal headship. You guys ever heard that term, federal headship? Um, you know what federal means probably, right? Think about the U.S. government. What do we mean when we say the federal government? Does anybody know what we mean when we say the federal government? Central. Right. As opposed to state governments. Because, right, we live in the United States of America. Each state or commonwealth, as we're in, has its own legislature, has its own type of government. But because of, you know, our history, there's now a federal government, a centralized place that can make laws for the entire nation. Romans chapter 5 and 6 talks about the fact that Adam, through sin in the Garden of Eden, became the federal head of all humanity. The federal head. And that is where this concept of original sin comes from. He is the representative of all humanity that came after him. It's why we, it's why we still say there, there's sinfulness in the world through the federal head. Now, the Bible also teaches in that same passage that Christ is our federal head when it comes to salvation. He is the one who through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, he federally represents all of us. When we trust in him, when the Holy Spirit has worked in him, we've been united with him, we trust in him, we are federally united to him, and thus, just as sin was attributed to us through Adam, Righteousness is attributed to us through Christ. That's called federal headship. And it's, it's incredibly important for understanding the salvation that comes through God to us by the Holy Spirit. There's way more to it than I just... I mean, that is the briefest of explanations Okay, for that. And if you have more questions about that, I would love to talk more fully and more in depth about it. That's all we can get into this morning, uh, unfortunately. Um, but that's, that's the objective nature of our union with Christ. We were, we were crucified with Him, the Bible teaches. We were buried with Him. And we were raised with Him. That is how intimate our union is described by the Bible with Christ. It's that intimacy. And that is why we, when God looks at us, He smiles at us. Because we have been given, we've been attributed the righteousness of Jesus Christ through faith in Him. It's an incredible truth. And our sin is what's known as imputed to Him or attributed to Him. Fully placed upon Him all, for all time and forever. Um, now, we sub, that's the objective sort of intellectual nature of it. But we subjectively experience this. There's, there's, a, there's real world uh, feelings, there's real world knowledge of this um, head, of this union, of this union with Jesus Christ. And I think it's best described in a book. Um, I can't, I, there's no way I could describe it better than C.S. Lewis. When he talks about um, sorry, i got to find the chapter. 
Is Christianity hard or easy? Um, Here he talks about the point of Christianity. What is the point? It has everything to do with our union with Christ. And here's the way he puts it. May I come back to what I said before? Well, I don't, we're not going to read that, so sorry. That's reference. But this is the whole of Christianity. This is the whole of Christianity. There is nothing else. It is so easy to get muddled about that. It's easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects. Education, building, missions, holding services. Just as it is easy to think that the state has a lot of different objects. Military, political, economic, and whatnot. But in a way, things are much simpler than that. The state exists simply to promote and to protect the ordinary happiness of human beings in this life. A husband and wife chatting over a fire. A couple of friends having a game of darts in a pub. A man reading a book in his own room or digging in his own garden. That is what the state is there for. And unless they are helping to increase and prolong and protect such moments, all the laws, parliaments, armies, courts, police, economics, etc. are simply a waste of time. In the same way, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men and women into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. It says in the Bible that the whole universe was made for Christ and that everything is to be gathered together in Him. I do not suppose any of us can understand how this will happen as regards the whole universe. We do not know what, if anything, lives in the parts that are millions of miles away from Earth. Even on this Earth, we do not know how it applies to things other than men. After all, that is what you would expect. We have been shown the plan only insofar as it concerns ourselves. There's only one more paragraph. I sometimes like to imagine that I can, just, I can just see how it might apply to other things. I think I can see how the higher animals are in a sense drawn into man when he loves them and makes them, as he does, much more nearly human than they would otherwise be. I can even see in a sense in which the dead things and plants are drawn into man as he studies them and uses and appreciates them. And if there were intelligent creatures in other worlds, they might do the same with their worlds. It might be that when intelligent creatures entered into Christ, they would, in that way, bring all the other things in along with them. But I do not know, it's only a guess. What we have been told is how we, men and women, can be drawn into Christ. We can become part of that wonderful present which the young prince of the universe wants to offer to his father. That present which is himself, and therefore us, in him. It is the only thing we were made for. And there are strange, exciting hints in the Bible that when we are drawn in, a great many other things in nature will begin to come right. The bad dream will be over. It will be morning. Little physical things, sticks, branches, vines, marriage, they're pictures of this union with Christ that is at the center of who we are and what we do. If you have not known Christ in this way, if you have not come into union with Him, there's always the chance to become united with Christ, to give yourself to Him, to become His, and to find salvation through Him. And if you know Him, be encouraged, be refreshed today. 
in this relationship. May you be brought into his fullness in a, in a new way, even this week. And we get to now, as a, as a privilege we have as his church, we get to now experience him through what's known as communion. And the reason, sometimes this, sometimes this meal we're going to celebrate together, sometimes it's called the Lord's Supper. But its traditional name is communion. Why? Because it's a, it's a physical picture of our union with Christ. As we partake of the bread, as we drink of the wine, it is a reminder of how Christ is in us, working through us, nourishing us, bringing us close to Himself and close to one another. Let's partake together this morning.